The darkness of abuse and domestic violence take on even more heinous shades when people with disabilities are the targets and objects. But you will hear how Franklin Erickson and his team at The Initiative bring light to this battle with love, compassion, empathy, training, and skill on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I'm excited to welcome Franklin Erickson, Executive Director at The Initiative, the only organization in Colorado that focuses on the intersection of cross-disability issues and abuse. Franklin is relatively new to the role, but joins the team with nearly 10 years of nonprofit experience, including engaging in direct service work and executive level leadership. Franklin is originally from Las Vegas, go Knights, uh, but has lived in Colorado for the past five years. He enjoys spending time with his family, cooking and being outdoors. He is an, also an avid traveler, having spent more than two years living abroad, serving in the U.S. Peace Corps. Awesome. Franklin began his career in the nonprofit space, working with young people with mental illness in a treatment setting in Minnesota, where he also attended college. Those early years of direct care fostered Franklin's passion for working with underserved communities and working towards improving the lives of others. Awesome. He believes there's nothing more important than providing service to those who need them the most, which is what he and his team are doing every day at the initiative. And I'm looking forward to learning way more. Welcome, Franklin. Thank you, Jay. Nice to be here. Well, why don't you introduce yourself and introduce us to the initiative? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for that uh, introduction. Yeah. Go Knights. Uh, happy to have us going back to the conference finals again. Um, but yeah, uh, I think you really covered a lot of the the the, the pillars of my experience, um, my background. Uh, but as you said, I am new to the role, uh, just became the executive director of the initiative in September of 2022. Uh, prior to that, um, you know, held roles uh, as chief operating officer, uh, as vice president. Um, but this is my first time uh, in the executive chair, and um, it's been a huge pleasure to lead such an amazing organization doing such essential work. Um, so, yeah, uh, just to dive into what the initiative is, who the initiative is, is uh, we are really a, a victim services organization, a victim advocacy organization focusing on um, people with disabilities who are experiencing uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence, uh, sexual assault, stalking, and really any related crimes, uh, elder abuse. Um, we really focus, I would say, in, in more broadly in uh, serving people who are vulnerable, who are marginalized and find themselves uh, in a situation where they uh, aren't safe or where their safety is at risk. Uh, and we try to provide a litany of services related to, um, you know, ensuring that that person can live a safer, more meaningful life, uh, starting with, uh, you know, finding them emergency shelter uh, or short-term housing uh, to legal services, to uh, food support, transportation support, uh, mental health support, um, really just trying to do our best to ensure that we find uh, solutions for people who traditionally have trouble accessing 
services and um yeah. you know finding uh finding those traditional pathways uh harder to gain access to right so you guys aren't an emergency services agency but you're really the only one in this space helping victims of of abuse with disabilities so how is it that somebody comes to find you when they need your help yeah, great question and something we're working towards uh, bettering all the time. Uh, I would say one of the yeah. blocks to our mission is uh, making sure people know that we exist. Um, so, you know, obviously we're, you know, we're on the Internet. We can be accessed uh, from a Google search. But more importantly, I think, is we engage in a lot of very targeted outreach uh in communities across the state. We are a statewide organization. So not just serving Denver, uh, all all communities across the state. Um, And uh, yeah, so we engage in a very targeted outreach strategy, focusing on rural communities, focusing on uh, marginalized populations, people of color, uh, bilingual folks, um, and, and really just looking at the state and seeing, hey, where are these sort of uh, service deserts, so to speak. Where are these yeah. areas that people um, are going to have a, uh, an especially difficult time uh, getting the help they need? And we try to really focus our efforts uh, on those places. It's sort of a conundrum that, um, you know, uh, people base organizations in Denver because that's where so many of the people in the state live. Right. Uh, but at that same time, then so many organizations are based in Denver, uh, which leads, you know, big parts of the state sort of uh, unrepresented in terms of yeah. that access. Uh, so I would say that's our biggest, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, other goal besides the direct victim services sure. provide is um, focusing on where do we uh, meet people where they're at? What communities do we engage with and how do we uh uh, build new relationships and engage the people who need us most. Sure. Well, you guys are dealing with super complex issues. I mean, not only are you dealing with all the barriers people with disabilities have to deal with, but then you throw in this other dark layer of abuse on top of that. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about what kind of training and background your team needs to, to work and be effective in this arena. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and I think, uh, you know, at the surface, it's, it's you know, pretty clear immediately that when you're working with people who are um, in traumatic situations in need of yeah. love and support, that that will that that would take a toll on our victim advocates. But mm-hmm. even more than that, you know, often uh, our victim advocates are people with lived experience themselves. Mm. Um, either people with disabilities, people who have experienced uh, some form of abuse or trauma. Um, And so I think there's an extra layer of knowing, having that deep empathy for the person on the other end of the phone, uh, wanting to do everything you can. Um, And so I think that, you know, by just the, the, the natural empathy that occurs uh, from that experience, right. our advocates are, are relationship builders first and foremost. Um, and I think that is a really crucial and yeah. sometimes overlooked part of the job is that to be effective in providing the, the services that people need, they have to feel safe uh, and they have to trust the, the advocates right. that are on our team. And so, uh, you know, we really 
um, stride to, to, to build those relationships first and foremost. And then, you, you know, you know, a lot of extensive training in um, trauma-informed care, yeah. in the field of disabilities, not just what disabilities exist, but really how does a disability express itself uh, when we're trying to provide services? How might it interfere right. with the ability to serve people? Um, Another layer. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, too, uh, trying to expand uh, what a disability means for our team. So really including uh, substance use disorder, uh, you know, severe and per- pervasive mental illness, PTSD, um, you know, behavioral health uh, as another form of, of disability um, to ensure that we're, you know, uh, not excluding anybody right. from that conversation of um uh, of of that that access that they need to services, um, and you know our our uh, victim advocates are also bilingual. Uh, oh, awesome! They have uh, you know regular conferences and um, uh, trainings and symposiums they engage in. So uh, I'm really proud of the the efforts they take on their own to just stay, um, you know, really on that cutting edge of of training and um, and understanding the disability landscape. Well, and I'd be interested to hear about, you know, especially when you're dealing with trauma, a lot of times people don't want to bring that forward. Um, You know, I'm a tough guy. I don't, I'm good. I don't need help. And I would think with, with somebody who's got a disability that that it's, it's building up that trust is even a little bit more difficult. How is it that you, you go about building that trust and breaking down that barrier? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. And I would say, you know, even before I speak to your question, the the difficulty for our advocates is kind of compounded by two different forms of stigma. And I think really stigma is at the root of that. Yeah. I don't want to come forward. I don't want to admit that I need help. Right. I don't want to appear dependent. So I right. think there's a, there's a stigma attached to being a person with disabilities, first and foremost. Right. And, so you've got that before you even throw on the other icky layer. A hundred percent. And, you know, then there's a, there's a stigma attached with being a quote unquote victim. Right. You know, abuse or violence or assault. And um, so we try to use a lot of that um, uh, survivor first language, um, you know, uh, client survivors. We try not to use the word victim. We want to use empowering language. Nice. Um, and, and we really want to do a lot of listening. Um, yeah. We we don't try to pry. We don't try to, um, you know, pull more information than is needed out of the people we work with. Um, and I think we really try to address, uh, you know, a few key areas uh, with, with each client and the, and the primary one being safety. You know, how can we ensure that um, from this conversation forward that, that, that you're going to have a safety plan if you're still living with your perpetrator? Uh, or that you can remain safe if you're no longer living with that that perpetrator. You know, uh, strategies to um, you know mitigate the conflict, strategies to uh, you know leave when necessary, strategies to uh, you know keep your your address confidential and uh, your house safe. Um, so I think it's a combination of uh, you know really just listening. Um, 
trying to meet people where they're at, yeah. not putting undue pressure uh, on them, and uh, trying to use language that is empowering uh, and, and uplifting instead of uh, sort of reinforcing that stigma. I think that's great advice for any, any any aspect of life is to use more empowering language. I think the world would be much a better place if we all did that um, and we're, we're more intentional with that. But it also has to help in the little I've learned about trauma the last year or so to have somebody with that lived experience. You know, it's instant credibility and somebody that you, if you're talking to them, it's like, well, they know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm, I can be a little bit more open and a little bit more forthcoming because they've walked in, in my shoes before. Oh, 100 percent. And I would say, um, you know, with that lived experience, I think representation is another huge uh, piece of that puzzle is mm. um, having people on our team that identify with the people that we're serving. Um there's that commonality. There's, I think there's a comfort that exists when there's uh, diversity represented yep. uh, with our advocates. Um, and I think that that's a really important piece, not just for victim services organizations, but for any nonprofit providing community-based services is um, you have to have a team that's reflective of the populations you're trying to serve. Yep. Uh, and not only is it uh, important to have a team that reflects that uh, that diversity, that inclusion. But it's also important that those voices uh, on your team are listened to, that they have a seat at the table, uh, and that they're included in the decision making, um, so that you can work with them to yeah. guide the organization as the needs of the community evolves. Great leadership advice. So, tell me, who are some of your most important partner agencies? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's a ton. Um, we work a lot with uh, Safe House Denver. Uh, they're really close friends of ours. They do a lot of uh, important work with people who are in immediate crisis. Uh, we work with another great organization called Dove. Uh, that's a, um, a deaf organization for people who are deaf. Um, they do great work translating uh, and working with us for for the deaf community. Uh, we work with the Rose Andam Center, which is a community resource center in downtown Denver that does a great job referring clients to us uh, who are having ac uh, access issues with uh, getting the services they need. Um, we also work very closely with several different DA's office and, and judicial districts across the, the state, uh, really to ensure that we can um, refer clients when needed to help clients walk through the process of uh, getting victims compensation, um, getting, uh, you know, putting a case together against the perpetrator. Um, and so I think, you know, it's a combination of community-based partners, of um, government and and uh, you know uh, law enforcement based partners, um, and you know uh, countless other partners that I'm not mentioning across the state. Yeah. That are, uh, extremely grateful for. Um, Thanks, Village. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it was alarming to read about intersectionality. That was a new term for me, which is where multiple forms of inequity or disadvantage. Converge and compound, which is what you guys deal with every day. That's that's some tough sledding. So, how can we really raise uh, awareness of these kind of situations in in the community? I think that is the primary question we ask ourselves when we are engaging in outreach work, which is um, how do we 
how do we empower people to to use their voice to change how we think about people with disabilities, to change how, you know, as a community, as a state, uh, how we think about domestic violence. And so I I would say a big piece of that that we're working towards is um, trying to get people to understand domestic violence, domestic abuse uh, as, as really a public health crisis. More the than statistics are staggering. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, right. especially, and then, you, you know, in the disabled community, it's even worse, which is, it's just horrific. Right. So if you think, you know, that uh, approximately 50% of women uh, at some point in their lives will experience, uh, you know, domestic violence or yeah. abuse, stalking, and that 33% of men will, um, you know, and then you compound, like you said, uh, Jay, those those other mitigating right. uh, factors. Um, we're dealing with a public health crisis, not an individual uh, criminal case. Mm. Um, you know, there is there is something deeply wrong um, when so many uh, people uh, will be affected by an issue that right. um, that 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 is pervasive across communities, across identities, across. Um. Um, across the state. Uh, I think the other thing we're trying to do is um, really change how we uh, talk about people with disabilities. Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the most important things I've learned uh, entering this role, working with this organization is that um, there's sort of a misunderstanding as to why people with disabilities are, are uh, more, likely to experience abuse or violence. It's, it's not um, that they are more vulnerable in most instances. It's that there is a perception of people who are abusive that people with disabilities are more vulnerable. It's that perception mm-hmm. piece that because of how we talk about people with disabilities, because of representation of people with disabilities in, in popular media and uh, in popular culture, um, that that people uh, target people with disabilities more often because of that perception of vulnerability. They're an easier target. Oh, geez. That perception of weakness. Uh, um, but of course, that's not the case. Uh, it's not the case for sure. Not are able to live very meaningful lives. It's very mm-hmm. fulfilling lives. They're able to take care of themselves. Um, and so, I think adjusting that piece of hey, you know, this community actually isn't more vulnerable. Uh, this this community is actually uh, you know totally capable of living uh, meaningful full lives of yeah. uh, taking care of themselves of being independent uh, of being um, you know uh, just just who they are uh, without the need of somebody taking care of them. I think yeah. changing that that perspective has been uh, really crucial. Well, on on a lighter note, is there any success stories that you can share? Yeah, you know, I think um, anytime we connect with a client and can provide a service that um, makes them feel safer, makes them more comfortable, puts them in a safer environment, that's a success story for us. That's a huge win. Um, you know, and I think we we more often than not do have that success. Uh, you know, I was recently talking to one of our advocates about a client with two children who was at risk of being homeless, uh, didn't have many options to turn to. This person's disability uh, 
really uh, got in the way of them accessing normal shelters. Um, and we were able to, you know, work with a couple other organizations and provide uh, rental assistance and uh, safety deposit, security deposit for uh, an apartment for this person. They, you know, from that were able to find a job and sort of really put the foundations of a life together without their without their perpetrator. Once they had that permanent address, once they had that place that they could wow. access and live in with their disability comfortably, um, you know, they were able to uh, feel a sense of independence, feel a sense of pride of being able to uh, provide for their children um, and really, you know, plant those seeds of, of, of beginning right. chapter of their lives. And I think um, those kinds of stories, yeah. that meaningful impact is what sort of, uh, you know, keeps us going. Cause that's, that's a generational thing now, right? You're helping that person who's coming out of this situation, which is then going to ripple across their kids, which is going to carry into the next generation. So that's awesome. But this work is definitely not for the faint of heart. So was there kind of an aha moment for you when you know you wanted to devote yourself to these kind of efforts? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I think early in my career, um, engaging in direct service work with young people, Mm -hmm. um, working in group homes with people who, uh, who really felt abandoned by their families um, who didn't have um, a lot to look forward to on a daily basis, you know, staff coming in and out of their homes, uh, a staff, we were sort of, um, you know, trained in keeping strict boundaries with the clients that we worked with. Right. Um, but, you know, even, even within those parameters, the relationship building, the, the giving somebody, you know, a feeling of joy, um, being a, a a model, a role model for a young person when they, you know, when all the adults in their lives have um, have not been able to be that. Th- those really uh, were, were were pivotal moments for me in knowing that I wanted to work in uh, in the nonprofit space and direct service work. Uh, you know, that carried me into the Peace Corps, into working in behavioral health and substance use disorder after the Peace Corps, and that's really what's carried me into. Uh, working with people uh, experiencing domestic violence, working with people with disabilities. Um, for me, it's um, there's just something about uh, being engaged in community-centered work, uh, working towards bettering uh, the place that I call home. That um, yeah, that 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 really can't be replicated elsewhere. It can, and again, like I say, your 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 work is going to ripple across generations because you're strengthening families, right? That's the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. So what is it, what would you say is a dream that you have uh, for the future of the initiative? Yeah, uh, great question. You know, I really I really hope uh, that we can put together um, the framework, the strategy, the team to, to scale this to a national level. Um, awesome. there, there's not... Uh, enough organizations across the country focusing on this work. Um, there are lots of people living with disabilities. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the, 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 the statistics are staggering. Um, and so I, I think having a more national presence, being able to serve people in other areas of the country, um, you know, that's sort of the long-term goal. 
Well, I love it. You're creating a proof of concept here, which is which is fantastic. So as we wrap things up and, and be respectful of your time, I'll move into my last four questions. The first one is, what is something you will read, listen to, or watch today? Yeah, right now, me and my partner are watching the Netflix show Beef, ah. which I think we will watch tonight once we put our daughter to sleep. <laughs> um and I think I will also be reading a couple of requests for proposals from funders uh, as the day moves on. Never stops when you're a nonprofit guy, right? Never stops. <laughs> so who would you say is a role model for you in, in making the world better that's, that's, that you look up to in doing this work that you're, you've de- devoted your life to? A uh, great question. Um, you know, I've had a couple really great mentors uh, early in my career that uh, believed in me, um, that saw potential. Um, so an early boss, Hugh Will, uh, was a guy that um, I worked very closely with to uh, to be able to move up in an organization I was very proud to work for. Uh, another mentor of mine, Justin Luke Riley, a uh, person who's been involved in a lot of different organizations uh, with a lot of nonprofits, who's also been uh, immensely helpful in helping me uh, learn new skills, take feedback, uh, grow as a leader. Uh, And then also a personal one, you know, my father um, was not in the nonprofit space, but was uh, an executive level leader for a long time and has always uh, been somebody I looked up to and um, wanted to model my leadership after. Nice. Mentorship is a real thing, folks. If you can mentor somebody, it'll change the world. So outside of the initiative, is there an organization that you really admire the work they're doing or somebody you'd want to give a shout out to? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of organizations out there doing great work. Um, uh, Young People in Recovery is an organization that uh, I, I really think is uh, fantastic based in Denver, but uh, has programs across the country. Um the Phoenix is another one that I really like and uh, have um, admired from afar for a long time, uh, doing a lot of great work in the uh, in the substance use world. Uh, and then the Harm Reduction Action Center, uh, another great organization really focused on saving lives um, based in Denver. But I know they do training across the state. Uh, love the work they do as well. If anybody wants to support the initiative, learn more volunteer, just find out more. What's the best way to find you? Yeah, you can go to the initiativeco.org. Our website is a bit of a mess right now. We're in the middle of a rebrand of rebuilding our website, but uh, you can contact us there. Um, You can contact me directly at franklin at the initiativeco.org. Uh, be happy to respond to anybody who wants to reach out and get more involved. We're always looking for volunteers, interns, uh, and people who want to support in whatever ways they can. Fantastic. I'll put all that in the show notes. Franklin, keep up the great work, admire what you guys are doing, and uh, we'll be pulling for you. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Franklin for providing hope and inspiration in a tough arena. This podcast was brought to you by JC Charity Services. Being a nonprofit leader is hard, and I can help you thrive. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To support or learn more about the work of Franklin and the Initiative, visit www.theinitiativecolorado.org. Check the show notes for links, and if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.